Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, Mr. Aaron Bruski of Hoopball.com. Aaron, what's going on? Oh, uh, you know, nothing. It was a really quiet day. There wasn't a lot of news. You know, we just kind of did our thing. Jesus, uh, it's been a rough couple of days, man. I don't know, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It, it's been, a, it's actually, I've, this is my third radio show or pod, no, yeah, radio show or whatever it's called, and it's been nonstop. Everybody talks about how slow the trade deadline is. It's never slow. It could be the the worst trade deadline ever, and it will be the busiest day of your year. It is the busiest day of the year for people who cover the NBA. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that. I think the NBA draft is right there. I think the first day of free agency is right there. But I do believe that this is the busiest day of the year. And it all builds. It builds and builds and builds. And then the worst part is you really don't even have an opportunity. Like the day before is so huge. And then leading up into the night, it's big, and you're on the phone, and you're trying to figure it all out, and you're putting pieces together, and you're hitting this source or that source, and you're waiting for something like crazy to spring up that some agent threw to Adrian Wojnarowski, and you're just sitting there like at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. That's what I was writing, and then you're waking up at 6 going, okay, I don't want to miss anything, and I make sure nothing broke, and then... You know, I'll go back to sleep for like 45 minutes. All right, 6.45, 7.30, you know, 8.15. And what was, what was killing me last night is, of course, okay, it dies down a little bit. And then the Kings news has to hit. It couldn't just be like any other team. It had to be the Kings. And then it was so quiet. It was two hours of quiet. And then there was like one other little piece of news. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, man... Those two hours of sleep would have been so sweet. <laughs> yeah, you, you almost want to pocket some of those minutes and just like, you know, close sleep, your eyes for a minute. Sleep at your desk or <laughs> under your desk. You just curl up, curl up in the chair and just, okay, I just got to steal a few minutes. I got to steal a few minutes. All right, so we got a lot to talk about and we didn't bring in a guest. Again, I, I hate doing that. We uh, we keep foregoing a guest, but that's because news keeps breaking and we keep having crazy things going on with Sacramento Kings. We get way too much to cover. Uh, we're going to cover everything under the moon, from George Carl to Vance Wahlberg to uh, Pau Gasol to Ben McLemore. What is going on with this Sacramento Kings team? We're going to talk about HoopBall.com, what Aaron Bruski is doing now with HoopBall.com. We're going to get to all of this stuff. But, I, you know, honestly, Aaron, are you surprised by the fact that this was for all intents and purposes, a bust of a trade deadline. No, I'm not surprised. And I try to not go into these things with expectations anymore because I think it was last year, everybody thought it was a bust. And then 15 minutes after the deadline, it just went kaboom. And there was no rhyme or reason behind it. One trade led to another, and it just avalanched. And I think this year, it was the exact opposite. I felt like there was a really good opportunity for teams to know that they've got all this cap space next summer to give themselves some maneuverability. Um, and, and and I don't know if it was the Warriors being so far out ahead of everybody else or people getting cold feet or some of the players that, that were kind of central in this, in this trade deadline. Um, they, they weren't really tradable guys like Dwight Howard. Nobody wanted him. And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you kind of go down the list. Like nobody, Kevin, nobody wants you, Dwight Howard. Man, talk about a reality check for that guy and for the Rockets, because I think the Rockets look at him as a marquee player in this league, and they got 29 no's. I'm pretty sure they went to 29 teams and got 29 no's. I think they have a stack of players that nobody wants. Really, I, I don't think that 
people are, I mean, I think there would be some teams that would say, okay, we'll give up a lot for James Harden, but no one's going to give up what, what they think he's worth. And Ty Lawson, I, oh, I mean, man, holy cow, Lawson they thought that thing. they were going to get Trey Burke for him. And it was like everyone in the world was, what are I, you thinking, Utah? I, Why would you do that? I don't I don't want to use like names because I really don't think it was the reporter's fault. But somebody was pitching Ty Lawson so hard. Yes. <laughs> it was really embarrassing because it's like, why would the Jazz even do this? Yeah, and, and they got the local yeah. guys in on it too. I mean, the Jazz have a great foundation. They've got a great coach. They've got great chemistry. And and why would they do that? I, so there was really hard to trade players. And I thought a lot of teams with assets, uh, Matt Moore of CBS did a good write-up on it. They really missed their chance to improve their teams. I thought the Celtics should have made a move. I, I agree. Mean, the, the East is kind of open. Like the, the Cavs are the Cavs and LeBron's LeBron and they're the favorites. But you stick a Hassan Whiteside, and that actually might have been the domino that needed to fall. Was Hassan Whiteside was out of there, and Chris pa- Chris Bosh's uh, blood clot just completely changed the Heat's timetable. And I think that now they're not even really concerned with making the playoffs unless they get good news from the doctors. So no, they got to right. keep that. Hassan. That may have been like the linchpin. It may have been not really so much Hassan as much as it was. Chris Bosch and what does it mean for for their team you're right because that was such a huge piece that could go somewhere else and he's on such a budget deal that a lot of people you know were like oh you know he's he's a really really high quality two-month rental that's going to get paid this summer um but you know do you want Hassan Whiteside I mean I think that's going to play out I think some teams I think teams should have gone hard at Hassan so they could get their hands on him and sort of get a, a good look-see before they committed to anything crazy this summer. Because, again, he's going to get stupid cash this summer. Someone's going to pay him ridiculous money. So that, that's an interesting thing that you bring up that Chris Bosch's injury may have led to that. Yeah, and you, you nailed it on the head. If I'm, if I'm paying Hassan Whiteside, I'd almost want to take the insurance and, and buy him for whatever like late first round or bad contract you'd have to kind of take on to get him that that would have been your insurance policy right there to say, Hey, you know what? I really want to know what this guy's all about because he's going to command, I don't know, 22 million on the, on the market, 20 million, maybe 18 for the knucklehead discount. But in that range, that's what he's going to cost. And it's going to be probably four years as well. Hmm. I I agree. He's going to get a lot of money. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as much as everyone's talking about, but let's skip Hassan Whiteside. I think overall the entire you know, the way that this played out was really strange. Um, you know, we we want to start here, but there's so much to cover with the Kings. Uh, was there, just sticking with the general NBA, was there a winner or a loser that you saw? In the trade deadline, I'd say uh, Detroit was a big winner. They they just fleeced or pardon me, Orlando. Um, Orlando, Similar to the Kings, you know, they've got the mandate to make the playoffs because hiring Scott Skiles was supposed to make them a playoff team. And, and that really, um, it really bit them because now you got two Scott Skiles guys and Brandon Jennings and Urson Ilyasova that get brought across. And now I'm confused because I read your article that said that the Kings had a competitive offer. And I'm thinking, well, geez, it, what, 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 why would the, like, did Orlando really take these two guys because they're Skiles guys and not what? the Kings were offering whatever they were offering because Tobias Harris, man, that would have been a great, just a massive pickup for the Kings. And another guy, Courtney Lee would have been a massive pickup for the Kings. I agree. Both players. And I think that's where a lot of Kings fans started to freak out. Like guys that the Kings, like you had circled, which were perfect fits for what the Kings need started to go off the board and they weren't going off for anything crazy. The, Basically, what I've heard on the Detroit situation, it's not that those are Scott Skiles guys, it's that they're expiring contracts, and that the Kings, any offer that they had came with multiple year contracts, so while the Kings did offer a better deal than what uh, Orlando got, and this is, again, this is a source told me that the Kings were in on Tobias Harris, and just so everyone knows... The Kings were in on Tobias Harris this summer, and I was told this summer 
during uh, during free agency that they had actually bid higher than what Orlando had bid, and that they were actually a you know they were in on Tobias Harris big time this summer. So they really like Tobias Harris. They like that stretch four uh, guy that can maybe play a little bit of three. You know, a guy like Ryan Anderson, they like that ability. But uh, Tobias Harris, basically, I, you know, again, I was told that the Kings had a highly competitive offer for him and that Orlando went a different direction. And it clearly, to me, it looks like they're just trying to bail out on all of their veterans, especially if you see what they did with Channing Fry, where they somehow turned Channing Fry into, like, what, a second-round pick. And uh, the Portland Trailblazers somehow turned... They got into that deal and came out with a first-round pick, and they got up to the floor, um, and then they're going to wave Anderson Verjao. So just a really interesting trade day. I, I trade thought the understated, the understated deals that were out there were the ones that were really impressive to me. The guys like Portland that just by virtue of how they positioned themselves with their salary cap were getting assets. And you know, to segue, I don't know if you wanted to go this direction, but you talk about losers. You know, I, I think – Teams like New Orleans that couldn't get rid of Ryan Anderson, but like Chicago, we're going to talk about this. But so if that deal was the deal, and I'm not going to say one way or another if it was or not, that they did not pull the trigger on getting Ben McLemore, Costa Kufos, and a loosening of the restrictions on that pick. That to me, because Pau Gasol, whatever, however much he likes Chicago, he's not a great fit for Fred Hoiberg's system. And Powell has been pretty picky about the systems that he plays in. He hated Mike D'Antoni's up-tempo system and they clashed. And then, then when he started playing for Tibbs, he, he revolutionized his game or had a renaissance or whatever have you. Going into free agency, I think he's going to be very concerned with that kind of thing. So the Bulls don't exactly have like a stranglehold on whether or not Pau Gasol stays with him or stays with them. So to be able to get a chance at a lottery pick or a higher lottery pick if you're the Bulls, a young asset like Ben McElmore, when they got guys like Tony Snell, who's really, really, really struggling over there, you, you, you can bring in and, and have a Pau Gasol replacement if you need a quality big in Costa Cufos. I just thought for a team that's really has no realistic shot of winning, if that trade was indeed on the table, they completely blew it. Well, I like Costa there too because I think more than a Pau Gasol replacement, I think he's a, a Joe Kim Noah replacement. And I think that he's a guy that can play defense that isn't going to ask for a bunch of balls and you've got you know offensive weapons on that team. So from what I know, uh, I know this is, this is one of these stranger trades that we've ever seen, right? It's one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere and everyone kind of looked and said, what? What are the Kings doing? And I, I think that there's plenty to ask, like, what are the Kings doing when it comes to this deal? And, and I think that's that's completely fair. But at the same time, you know, if you would have been able to trade for Pau Gasol, then I, I think it opens up a few doors. And so let, let's kind of break down this deal. So so on paper, it, it was allegedly the deal that... And, and again, I did hear that this is a real deal. It's not something that was like pie in the sky. It's something that was discussed ad nauseum. It's something that there were multiple times during the day that it was a possibility it was going to happen. It just didn't happen. And the Kings are bummed out that it didn't happen because I, I really do believe that they kind of pulled themselves back from all of the other deals and started focusing on that deal because the other deals all included Ben McLemore as well. And they wanted to center on this one deal because they knew if they gave up McLemore, then the deal to get Pau Gasol would go away. So basically, Costa Kufis, Ben McLemore, and then the Kings owe the Chicago Bulls a a first-round draft pick that's lottery-protected from the 2011 travesty of a deal that sent Omri Caspi with a first-round pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers for J.J. Hickson. And of course, J.J. Hickson plays 35 games in Sacramento before they had to waive him. He was so atrocious, and all he did was complain. He is by far one of my favorite players to ever cover ever in the NBA, and I'm being completely facetious. Um, that deal has hamstrung the Sacramento Kings for years, 
And at first, it seemed like a good deal because you thought you were getting a very young power forward who was coming off a stretch where he averaged like 18 and 11 heading down the stretch for Cleveland. And when he got to Sacramento, he was just a complete nightmare. And basically, the Kings had had been cautious with that. And they thought that they had a chance to improve over the next couple of years and that they, you know, the lottery protections went from 14 to 13 to 12 and then 10. And so, again, this is a Jeff Petrie deal and it's just sitting out there. And Cleveland at some point said, we had enough of this draft pick and they traded it as part of the Lou Dang deal to the Chicago Bulls. So the Bulls have been holding on to this pick again, just waiting for the Sacramento Kings to get good to get even mediocre so they can move and do something different with it. And I mean, they can, they can claim the pick. So it, what happens is Aaron, it's a top 10 protected this year and it's top 10 protected next year. If the Kings don't make the playoffs this year and they're either the 10 pick or better, you know, one through 10, then they keep it. And Chicago gets nothing this year. If they do the same thing next year and the Kings miss the playoffs again, Chicago misses out again, but then the pick dissolves and it it converts to a second round pick that's also protected. And there's a possibility that Chicago could actually never get the pick from Sacramento. That still remains true today, but the deal is the Sacramento Kings are, I think they're number nine overall in the the draft lottery, lottery if it were to end today. And of course they could fall below 10 by having two teams like number 10, number 11, number 12, number 13, somehow slide up above them into the top three and they could fall back and all of a sudden, you know, they lose their pick. Um, And and in this Powell Gasol deal, there was this option for Sacramento to go in and loosen the constraints. So maybe drop it to a top eight protected or a top seven protected. But there's this other gray area that's hiding out there And that is that the Sacramento Kings made a deal with the Philadelphia 76ers, which has been hotly debated whether it's a good deal or not. I've made my point known that I think it's ridiculous that people keep harping on the Kings for this deal being so horrible. Um, But realistically, Philadelphia has an option to swap picks. So let's just, for instance, say that somehow the Kings are in the top 10 and they end up landing number one, two, or three, and they fall ahead of Philadelphia, which again, Philadelphia is the worst team in the NBA. The worst pick Philadelphia will have going into this draft is number four. If they don't get one of the top three picks, then it goes in order and they get the fourth pick because they're the worst team in the league. So in this scenario, if somehow the Kings were to be like the eight pick and win the lottery, win the lottery, (laughs) the Ben Simmons lottery and slide up to number one, Philadelphia at number two, three, or four would have the opportunity to swap picks with the Kings. Okay, this is all ridiculous. If you know the mathematics of the lottery, the chances of the Kings moving into the top three is like, it's like less than 3% or something, 2%. And Philadelphia, in getting the advantage of being able to swap picks, that's only helped them like 1.002% or something. It's something like so incredibly small and ridiculous that it, it almost doesn't even matter. So anyway, the reason why we're beating this dead horse is because it has to be considered when, if the Kings were to lessen the constraints on their draft pick. Now, people are like, oh my gosh, they're going to give up a first round pick for Pau Gasol, who could opt out this summer and walk away and never be seen from again. That is completely true. The fact is, though, if they added Pau Gasol to their roster, there's a good chance that they would be better than the 10 spot anyways, and they would have given up their pick. So they would have been able to climb up the ranks because, again, there are teams all around the te- uh, uh, teams that are all around the Kings. There are Washington, Orlando, the New York Knicks, Milwaukee Bucks, all of which are are like right with the Kings. They're, they're three picks ahead. I mean, they're one win ahead of the Kings. And the Kings could easily pop up in and, and be like the 11 spot or the 12 spot and still miss the playoffs, but still lose their pick. So it's really complex and confusing. All you need to know is that it didn't happen. And we don't need to really worry about it. But Aaron, if you were the Kings, would you make a deal for Pau Gasol in this situation? 
No, no. And we differ on that. And I, I mean, if, if you told me today that George Crawl would run a post offense, yeah, I'd probably consider it. But that's not going to happen. You know, not in the way that because Pau Gasol, he's a ball holder. He hop, he holds the ball at the elbow. He holds the ball block extended. He holds the ball on the perimeter. He will dribble drive. I mean, this is a he's a jack of all trades offense. He's a great player. And, and you know, we've talked off air about his defense. Defensively, he's a really smart defender. His yes. only flaw is that he's not that nimble. So he will struggle with speed. Well, hey, you're going to have to play him next to DeMarcus Cousins to get the most out of him. Both of these guys, and in particular, if you don't change the defensive system, they're just going to get murdered at the three-point line. So that's my concerns with bringing Pau Gasol into this mix. Not to mention, you lose Costa Kufos. Ben McElmore, you know, with the way he's being used right now, his absence isn't even going to be felt. But then Pau Gasol is not going to play in Sacramento the following year. Like, maybe it's the same odds of the pick swap. So this is a rental. It's a short-term gain for a long-term loss. And I don't think the Kings should be doing that from a, um, a franchise perspective. And I think that's what a lot of people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on with this? And this, the, the silence after this report came out, not anybody in Chicago, not anybody in Philly, not anybody in Sacramento. The only place that had it was the same place that reported that um, it was Yahoo!, uh, the vertical that reported that George Carl uh, was unhappy about losing Vance Wahlberg. So it was like everything shut down. All of my sources shut down. Everybody else's sources shut down. And that speaks to your earlier point about that deal being real. Yes. But, but if the Kings were actually thinking about doing that, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to take the other side and tell you why I would do the Pau Gasol deal. Number one, first and foremost, I think that Pau Gasol could help you climb back into the playoff race. And that is like a... <gasps> but when I look at the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers, the Dallas Mavericks, and then what has happened to the Memphis Grizzlies over the last week, I think that there is a position available at least one more position than was available before and I think that the fact that none of those teams did anything positive at all I mean we talk about the Portland deal sure they picked up a future pick they didn't get any better this year and they need to get better because they're not good enough they're not good enough to beat anyone in the first round and the fact is they could have used some some more talent on that team the fact that Utah chased uh, Ty Lawson and, and we're offering up Trey Burke is just ridiculous. But again, they did nothing. Are they good enough? I don't think so. Memphis, Memphis jumps into this this thing. Uh, you know, Marcus All breaks his foot, and they all but like gave up. I mean, you gave up Jeff Green at the deadline uh, for for Lance Stevenson on a first round pick. Uh, you take on Chris Anderson. You uh, you you swing the deal for P.J. Hairston and and give up Courtney Lee. Basically, you gutted three of your your top eight players, and what you're left uh, left with is is not that attractive at all. And not only not that attractive, but talk about volatile. I mean, how does Dave Yeager Yeager get through this season with the team that he now has? I mean, he has Matt Barnes. He's got Tony Allen. He's got Lance Stevenson, he's got Anderson, he's got, again, Harrison. This is like crazyville. I, I think you could just sum it up by saying five through eight, those teams are not strong. Well, and they're not da strong, yeah. Dallas, Dallas is strong until they suffer one key injury, and then maybe even a second one because Rick Carlisle is a really good coach. But, the, Aaron, they're 29 and 26. It, they yeah. are two seconds yeah, away from collapse just yeah, like everyone else. There's six and a half games in front of the Kings with – one, two, three, three teams in between them. That's the biggest thing here is the Kings are in a four-game hole for the eighth slot. They, they're going to have to win. I, I don't they have to win, yes. and, apparent, and their schedule is tough. I'll give, it, I'll give them that, or I'll give the schedule that. But, and I wrote about this at HoopBall. I, I do see signs that George is willing to change, but then you know, hearing some of the stuff that came out of the locker room or probably the availability today, 
you know, kind of droning on about the same stuff about effort and not not necessarily the kind of stuff he said on Grant's show, just fresh a couple days off of not being fired. You know, on Grant's show, he said that, you know, we got to look at changing the pace. Well, of course, you got to <laughs> look at changing the pace. And, you know, it's getting to the point where, like, it, you know, from people who watch this stuff and they don't know that this is bad basketball, like, I just have to question whether or not you really know what you're talking about. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It is a terrible plan that's being put out there. And you can talk about the player effort all you want, and you can send it, send the examples of players and them not giving their effort, and I'll even give you that. Like, I don't even care about that stuff. Like, yes, the players don't give effort. Let's Let's just set that aside for a second. Running what they're running with this personnel, it's all fireable offenses. It's it, bad stuff. It is. Yeah, I totally get it. But let's let's get so, back to the Pau Gasol so, trade. Yeah, hang okay, on, but, hang but, on. We 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 gotta finish up with Pau. We gotta come right, back. All right. We gotta come back. So my point is number one. I think Pau Gasol actually gives you a a, a shot, a pretty good shot. Well, but 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 qualify that. Is George gonna run? A pace, a, a, a pace and space system with this guy because it's proven never to work with Powell. Okay, he's going to run what they have to run. And the thing I, I really like about Gasol is that I think that him and Cousins would start together, but one of them would leave the court quickly. Willie Cauley-Stein would come in. They would have a three-big rotation where you always had a guy on the floor that could score like crazy in the post, no matter what. You Wait, so you're always... telling me that they're going to run a post offense? Because that's, I think, the, the 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 crux of this entire season. <laughs> well, I, I'm not gonna. I'm, you know, yes, I, I, they would have to run something that would make sense. It would be high post. It would be low post. I really, when I see that deal, I envision Vlade Divac and Chris Weber. That's what that, and that is what I believe that Vlade saw as well. Now, is it still crazy? I'm not gonna say it's not crazy, but there is another element to this that that I believe is one of the things that people are completely missing. And that is the fact that the Kings owe a whole lot of money to Costa Kufis. They signed him to a four-year, $33 million deal. And I love Costa. He is the nicest guy. He he talks in cliches, and he's very difficult to deal with when you're actually interviewing him. But when the cameras are off, he is the, the best dude. I, I am a huge fan of his personality his locker room presence he is a very very cool dude but him and Demarcus Cousins don't work at all and the Kings have both of them locked up long term and so if I'm going to move him to Chicago and I'm going to swap out Ben McLemore for Tony Snell who to be honest with you I think Snell has a better opportunity to become a 3 and D player and actually have a role that with with the Sacramento Kings than what Ben McLemore does. He can play the two, he can play the three, he can defend, he can shoot the three. He's not great at either, but he has the athleticism and everything else. The Kings loved him. They brought him in twice during pre-draft in 2013. They, they were big fans of him, and they were trying to get a second pick so they could get Snell that year. So anyway, my point is that I think you improve the team greatly. But I also think that if Pau Gasol walks away this summer, the Kings would now have seven or eight million dollars more to go and play with. So either Pau opts in and you have the great Pau Gasol and you still have a ton of cap space to sign someone, I don't know, say Ryan Anderson uh, or one of the other multitude of guys and Rajon Rondo, not or, and... Mm-hmm. And now I think what if they would have lost Powell and Powell would have walked away, you could still try to sign and trade him, which that probably wouldn't help. Uh, but he was on a three-year deal, although he's opting out early. I'd have to look at the, the CBA. But the other thing is that you now clear up another $8 million in cap space, which the Kings are probably going to have to clear up this summer anyways if they want to make some of the moves. Because if you add a big player another stretch a stretch for like Ryan Anderson then Kufus value goes even further down if you've got Cousins, Stein, and Kufus along with a stretch four his value goes down tremendously and so that's why I believe that it's like it was it wasn't a huge risk 
because you're you're going to lose a pick anyways if you actually win games. And the Kings are still trying to win games, which is something that people you know need to get used to. They're going to try to win games. They've got 29 to go. Um, they need to go like 19 and 10 in order to get to 500, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but still, there's a chance that they could lose that pick anyways, uh, even if they don't make the playoffs. And I just don't see it as a huge win-loss, whether Powell stays or Powell goes. I, I still think it would have worked out for the Kings. Maybe I'm crazy, and I'm not like saying run out and do it. I'm just saying if I can get a 17-point guy who averages 10.9 rebounds per game and who averages two blocks and 3.4 assists, and he's a multi-time all-star, and he's 35 years old, I'm going to take that 35 years old, I'm going to crumple it up into a ball. I'm going to tell everybody out there, Pau Gasol has three or four more years left in him at high, high high-quality ball this is like draft getting a 28-year-old and, and worrying about whether he's going to hold up until he's 31 or 32. He's just like, he doesn't get old. And I don't know why, but uh, maybe it's it's good stuff going on in, in Spain. Maybe he's just in great physical shape. Maybe he's just lucky. But I think he's going to keep playing. And if the Kings were able to lock him up somehow, I, I think he would be a really good fit with Cousins. You know, I'm, I was sitting there watching the Kings do this, the, the whole letting Vance Wahlberg go, and I'm, I, I thought to myself, you know, I'd heard George talk on on um, on Grant's show, and he talked about having to slow down the pace, and he said well, maybe we need a half court team and a full court team, and that to me was an admission that you need to run the ball through Demarcus Cousins in the post and slow this down yep. because it's impacting the defense when you run up and down the floor and you turn the ball over at the 27th worst rate in the league. And why people don't understand this, it's like it's like mind-numbingly bad that we don't understand that live ball turnovers create defensive problems. But I digress. He goes on to say that he needs to make a couple changes on the defense. And to me, to, if you stop zoning up the pick and roll, if you stop doing these exotic coverages that your personnel don't fit, if you do anything, just run a base defense, run a base man-to-man, just try it one game, see how it works. You can make improvements that way. I thought things were going good when they, you know, you never want to root for somebody to get fired. But, and George could have changed his system at any point in time and probably prevented this from happening. But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is, this is good. You're going you're gonna to ensure against the possibility that George isn't willing to change because I don't see how you continue with George if he's not willing to change those systems that everybody outside of Sacramento knows don't work. I think he is going to change, though. Well, well, that's what I wrote about, as I really thought he was going to change. But then I started thinking, now hearing today's availability and reading some of the articles from the Carl camp, that he's not in a hurry to go get that defensive coach. You know, you're starting to hear these excuses. Well, I've got to practice. i got to coach practice and I don't <laughs> have the time. You know, this is Carl's camp that's out there saying this stuff. It was Carl himself who said it. It, 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 it might as well have been Carl. No, he you know, did. He said it himself. I was oh, at good. I was at media availability today. He said, "I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I don't know that." And, and you know what? Though I'm going to say, you got 29 games left, and that's an eternity, but it's also it's not because there are no practices left in this season. You, you got like six or seven practices left. There's not that much time for a defensive guru to come in but, and, but you and don't fix even anything. Need a, you don't even need a guru. You just have to tell him to stop running that stuff. That stuff is like the worst. It's stuff. toxic. Yeah, it's the worst stuff I've ever seen. You have Corliss come in and do it. Hey, Corliss, tell him to run man to man. You know, everybody's played man to man since they were in third grade. Run man to man, and then <laughs> there's the defense. And then offensively, run it through the post, and and slow this game down. Stop the turnovers. It it, it to me like the the whole idea that that there's any question whatsoever about the X's and O's of this situation is so far beyond me. I feel like it's the dumbest conversation I've ever heard. Yeah. But it's, you know, here you are 29 games away. So I thought that they were getting, they were ensuring that by bringing somebody else in to help with the defense, that that change would be made. And then George could just kind of focus more on how to move the offensive system. Because George's plan the way he explained it on, on Grant's show is to kind of get the best out of both worlds. So you have DeMarcus Cousins on the floor. 
run it through him when he's on the floor. But when you can get out on the break, get out on the break. And that's really what you want to do anyway. So, you know, everybody can agree that that's a good thing. But he, if he's got to sit there and be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak the defense these one or two ways within my style, you're still going to be running that, that pick and roll zone. And that just, it, it's a disaster. So you can talk about effort and you start to hear these things coming out of camp. Vlade said, you know, it's on the players. And I get that. They got to give better effort. But like, how, how are you going to run that system that looks ridiculous? I mean, even if they try hard, are you going to get a result? And, and that's what I don't get. So even if you bring in Pau Gasol and you run that system, how are you going to get a result? And so, but it, it, if you told me today they would run through the post through Pau Gasol, yeah, I think they'd probably make the playoffs. I just, I mean, all we have to do is look about two years back to Mike D'Antoni coaching Pau Gasol and the two wanted to kill each other. So I just, I mean, that precursor to the whole trade, it, to me, it controls the matter. And once again, we back into the real issue at hand here, which is, is George going to coach to his personnel? And yeah. there's 29, game, 29 games to figure that out. There's not like 40. Like that has to be the, like, by the way, Michael Malone coming in to Sacramento. Yeah. You know, two games back to back. How's that going to look if he doesn't change and they get walloped? Well, I don't think that that's going to be a good thing. If, like, again, George Carl can't walk in and lose these next two games. He knows that. I mean, if you look at the schedule in front of them, you're going to have a tough time getting both of these games, but you need to at least split. It's really tough to to go into uh, Denver, and Michael Malone's going to have a couple of days to to work through this and, and to game plan for you. He's not going to want to lose two games in a row to you either. Um, you have brought up the, the Vance Wahlberg thing. So I do want to address the Vance Wahlberg thing because this is a very odd thing that's happened. Uh, um, you know, Vance Wahlberg is, is a very, again, a very nice man. I've, I've talked to Vance a, a bunch of times. He's a, a basketball junkie. He's a guy who's come up with a, a diff, an offensive scheme that is being used all over the place. It's not just in Sacramento, the dribble drive motion offense. Uh, it's known as a bunch of other names as well, but it is a very, very well-respected and well-used offensive scheme, especially at the college level. Um, but Vladi Divac decided that he needed to make a change. Now, I, there's all kinds of issues that, we're gonna, that we can talk about with this situation. I, I think that for most people, my first reaction, because... I, I pulled into the parking lot. They had a 6.30 practice on Wednesday night. And I pull into the parking lot and I get a call because for some reason I, I need one of you out there that knows iPhones to tell me why I can't get some of my emails to push through. Anyway, I, I'll get to that later. But um, I didn't get the email that Vance had been let go. And I got a call from one of my editors saying, hey, look, uh, Vance Wahlberg was just let go. Within like 30 seconds, I get the email and as I pull into the parking lot and park, I look ahead of myself and I can see Vance Wahlberg in the building still. And my initial reaction was, you just had nine days off. Why didn't you move away from Vance Wahlberg before? Why didn't you let him go during the break? So when everyone came back, he was no longer here. And I've got a couple of answers on this. And the first answer is, Sometimes you decide to let someone go when you decide to let them go. And it's a feeling that you get at a certain time and it happens and you go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make this move. So I'm not saying that this was a like a spur of the moment situation, but I think the Kings decided that they wanted to mix things up and they tried desperately to make a trade to mix up the players as well. But they needed to start with the coaching staff and to make sure that the conversations that were had like a week and a half ago with George Carl and his group actually sunk in and actually went to the next level of, oh, it's not just we better do this. It's like, look, I'm going to make changes now. And I've had this on Twitter. Why was it Vance Wahlberg? And that's a very interesting question too. And I'm just going to say, number one, Nancy Lieberman um, is is very far down the totem pole. And if you fired Nancy Lieberman as only the second woman in the NBA uh, as an assistant coach, you're going to catch a bunch of flack. Uh, Corliss Williamson hasn't done anything 
but work with the big men and, and been like that secondary guy if they need to let George go. He's the next in line, and we all know that. Uh, and then the other two, John Welsh and, and Chad Iskey, they're, they're guys who literally one runs the offense and one runs the defense. So Iskey runs the defense and uh, Welsh runs the offense, uh, although both of them work with George Carl on everything altogether. The deal is that those guys all connected really well with the players. And while they're George Carl's guys, because everyone knows that this staff is littered with George Carl guys, they are also guys that work really, really well with the players all the time. I watch it every day in practice. I watch them working with Willie Cauley-Stein or uh, working with just about every player on the team. You'll see these guys working with. Vance is just a little different, and he's uh, a guy who came up through the high school ranks, and he's got a lot of energy, and he's got an incredible work ethic, and he's a great guy, but he may not be at the NBA level. NBA players don't usually react to a rah-rah guy, and he just had a difficult time getting in with the players to where they felt comfortable, he felt comfortable, and everything was going smoothly. So that's why it's Vance and not one of the other guys. And that's that's it. It's not that Vance didn't do anything wrong. There was no fight. There was no blow up. There was no anything else. It was just that this is a guy that was, wasn't connecting. And this team is trying to connect at this moment. And it wasn't working. And so he's out. And it it's strange. And it's weird. And... But... To say, hear people in the room say, oh my gosh, I've never seen this happen, is just foolish. Because Jeff Hornacek fired two assistant coaches like a couple of weeks ago, and then he got fired right afterwards. I mean, this isn't like unprecedented that an assistant coach isn't working out and is let go. So that's sort of my spiel on on the Vance Wahlberg uh, situation. He's a very nice guy. I wish him nothing but the best. I think he will be back in the league for somebody I, he just wasn't right for this team right now. And that was the decision that Vladi Divac made. Not me. That's the decision Vlade made. And that's the way it goes. It, it, his offense is fine. Like, it's it's an effective offense given the right personnel. And, you know, the matchup of Rondo and Vance and Carl. And then you've got the league's preeminent post player, it's like a match made in hell, really. Yeah, it's oil and water. It's oil and water. You've got yeah. to get the ball out of Rondo's hands, but he doesn't play that way. Um, in terms of a dribble drive offense, you need somebody that can finish, that wants to take contact down there. You need shooters that can shoot. You need players, because Vance, when he's explaining it to these guys, he's using it. He's using such vague terminology, the flow and it's it is a vague sort of a deal. You've got to kind of like play off each other in an unscripted manner and these players aren't really in tune with the game enough to be able to play that way. Yes, intuitively. It's, a, it's a philosophical style of play. It's not an Xs and Os draw it up, show you how to do it on the whiteboard and move forward. And so when you have Rondo orchestrate that, he's got a couple ways that he goes but none of them are really truly a part of the flow because he's not willing to give up the rock. And the flow is about make a move, get rid of it, go to the next spot and everybody rinse, lather and repeat and move to the open space and, and drive and kick. And it's all very cosmic. It's karma, man. And that's the way Wahlberg explains it. And I could tell you that these guys did not understand that at all. And it's not working. And when it's not working, it's frustrating, but you know, Rondo doesn't want to stop doing that. He's getting great numbers. You know, he's having great personal success and he can see the flow. He understands the flow. He might not operate perfectly within it, but it's not outside of his comprehension. But there are nights that he does operate perfectly in it. There are nights that we've seen Rondo be so incredibly good that you're like, huh, the system is really, it's, it's designed yeah, but for him. I, I can't give him that because if you got a weapon in DeMarcus Cousins that's like the nuclear weapon... You know, the one that's going to, it's almost like basketball checkmate. And but you're not maximizing that. We're talking about the offense, though. We're talking about the flow of what Vance Wahlberg is trying to, to teach. 
And if it is for your guard to to take everybody off the dribble and either score at the rim or kick to an open shooter and then find another open shooter, an open shooter, get the best shot possible, I think Rondo has actually, there's moments this season where it's been like, okay, I see the dribble-derived motion offense running through Rondo. Now, I'm not saying that, that it works with Cousins. I'm saying that Rondo himself is is doing is the capable. dance. capable. And I'll even close it out by saying this is I just don't believe in system coaches. And I've, I've heard Quinn Snyder say that he doesn't believe in it. I've heard Michael Malone say he doesn't believe in it. I've heard so, so many other coaches say that they just coach to their personal. I don't believe in systems. Like if you've got a system where Vance Wahlberg's uh, teachings or you've got personnel where that those teachings are going to be the best fit for those guys, I think you coach that system. And then I think if you've got personnel where the triangle is the best fit for that system or, or for, pardon me, for those players, then you, you give them the triangle. And if, and if a post offense is what's best for like, say an Al Jefferson, like you don't, you don't run Al Jefferson up and down the court with his 86 year old knees. You just don't do it. But system coaches think you do. So that's where I, what's where I have a problem with it is you have to be able to coach to your personnel. And that's obviously not what's happening here. Yeah, and I think when you bring up systems, I'll make this point too. It's that one of the reasons why uh, John Calipari is so incredibly successful at Kentucky is because he runs this system, but every year he's switching out the pieces with a new guy that's going to run a specific, you know, either he's a rim runner or he's the attacker or he's the corner three man or he's the secondary uh, dribble drive motion guys so you got your first guard going through it give if it gets back up to the top to to the shooting guard then he goes back through I, that's a big reason why ben mclemore hasn't worked in this system because he's not a natural playmaker or ball handler um you know he is sort of the wing in this situation so i, I mean but there are reasons why this system is successful in certain places and it's not in others and at the college level, you very, very rarely run the ball through a big man because the big man skills at age 18, 19, and 20, so even if you're getting the greatest big men in the world, which Kentucky is consistently done, it they still aren't so dominant that you feed them and run through them all the time. And, well, the spacing's so bad. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly with the zone and everything else. I mean, the spacing, it, it, there's a, a bunch of reasons why you don't do it, but this system isn't flawed for everyone. It's just it's it was flawed for the Sacramento Kings. And I, I think to be totally fair to to Vance Wolver again every and to George Carl in this situation, the issue isn't that what they're trying to do is like I mean, it is revolutionary and it has some it has major flaws that we've pointed out a million times. But at the same time, the biggest like error that they've made isn't the system it's that they are trying to implement this system with this group of players and you know i think we can get back to the fact that that's probably why george carl and demarcus cousins almost instantly had issues and was almost instantly you know being ushered out the door because carl didn't want to run this he, he wanted to run his system and he didn't think cousins could do it and i don't think i agree with that 100 percent, but you know, at the same time, you can see what it's done to Carl uh, to Cousins's body. It hasn't helped him at all. And all this crap, again, we keep doing this every week, but anytime you keep reading the same exact absolute just trash. It's an embarrassment to that organization. Jesus, man. The same exact thing that Cousins is out of shape. It's just pathetic. It's sad. And you know what? I think (laughs) old media... You know, th- this is why old media is going out of business in certain cases and, and why new media is kicking the you know what out of old media in certain yeah. cases. Because this is just the, it's the biggest garbage. You jump reporting. the shark. You jump the shark. It's, I mean, it's just go home. Go home. No, you, you've advocated for the, re- the release of Isaiah Thomas. You, you more or less reported every pro Pete angle that there ever was. You know, you, you, you basically more or less defended Michael Malone going, go home. Yeah. Just go home. <laughs> at some point, at some point, that's where it is. Okay, so there's one last thing I want to get to. Um, I, I think we've covered, you know, uh, the Wahlberg situation. We've covered the trade deadline. Uh, there were, just so you know, there were other trades that the Kings were looking at. But again, we talked about that 
uh Paul Gasol I think seemed to be the guy that they'd focused on and they didn't have they didn't want to split assets and then have to deal with that um and miss out on something that they thought was the right thing for them um Vlade Divac was very clear when I asked him on Wednesday night are you going to bring in a GM and he was actually leaving the scrum when I went to ask that question and he was already starting to walk away and uh, he was you know media relations was taken away and like all right that's all for tonight and I said wait uh, you know there's a rumor that that you're going to look at a GM this summer and he said, well, wait, 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 I can answer that question. And he sat back down on the stool and he looked at me and he said, go ahead and ask it again. And I said, you know, are you going to look for a GM this summer? Like the rumors have said. And he said, uh, I'm the GM. And I said, okay. I said, uh, is that it? I mean, are, are you going to look for help? He said, I, we're always going to look for help, but I'm the GM of the team. And I think Sean Cunningham said, does that mean that you're not going to bring anyone else in to you know, help you figure some of these things out? And he said, I'm always looking for help. Do you want to help me? <laughs> <laughs> Which I found was spectacular. Uh, and, you know, again, Sean said, yes, I- I'll help you. And I actually said, I will help you too, Vlade. If you, if you would like to hire us, we would love to come and work and, and help you figure out the uh the the x's and o's of of running a professional franchise of course it was all in fun but the fact that he looked me dead in the eye and told me that he is the gm of the team they may bring in someone to help here and there they may bring in another experienced i mean if you go back to the the pete i mean not the pete Alexander, the jeff petrie era jeff petrie was the president of basketball operations and Wayne Cooper was a general manager. And everything that people remember about Jeff Petrie was he was a general manager, the architect of the Kings. It was actually Wayne Cooper. And then he had Sharif Abdul-Rahim, which was an assistant GM. And he had Mike Petrie, his son, who was also an assistant GM. All of those guys worked together. It was a group of four. Now, the Kings have a cap guy. And people who keep saying that, like, Vladi doesn't know the stretch provision and all that stuff, you know, it doesn't matter. He has a guy there who walks him through all of this. You don't have to know all that stuff. Not every GM and or, or president of basketball operations knows the finer nuances of the CBA. It's why a guy like Pete D'Alessandro has had jobs. It's why Travis Schlenk in, in Golden State is so valuable. They're, these guys that understand the salary cap and, and the nuances of it, they they don't go places usually. They stick around and they're very valuable. The Kings have some of the pieces in place. But could Vlade use another assistant GM or a, a two assistant GMs to, to work with Mike Bratz and to work with Peja and to work with their, their salary cap guy? The answer is yes. I mean, you can't have too much scouting. You can't have too much information. You know, they have Roland Beach there. They, they've built a, a solid framework for a front office. They might need to add a couple of pieces. But Vlade was very adamant that He's the guy who's going to be making the decisions going forward. And I think that's that's really interesting. And I, I think, again, I, I like what he does. I like, what, I like the way that he handles the media. He cracks me up. I mean, for him to say, you know, yes, I'm going to make a deal. I'm going to trade Vlade and Peja for two more experienced guys. I, I thought that that was hilarious. And I, I thought it like... It shows you that he understands the strain of the job, but he was also there for like four days straight without sleep, working the phones, trying to figure out a way to make this team better. And I don't, he didn't get like people thought, he, he's not the rube that people thought. He didn't get killed at the trade deadline. He didn't get picked apart at the trade deadline. All these teams that were calling, trying to get Marco Bellinelli for free, they didn't get him. They didn't get Ben McLemore for free. And so I think he deserves a little bit more of a shot. And especially this summer, if they go a different direction with coaching, he deserves that opportunity to see what he can do with his guy, with someone who will work with the players that are on the team. And that, I believe, is probably the biggest reason why you didn't see a trade at the trade deadline, because I don't think the Kings were convinced that this team is bad. They're convinced that this team is playing bad, and they think that there are more than one reasons for that for that, for why they're playing so bad. And one of those reasons 
will probably be answered when they look for a new head coach this summer, if that's the way it goes with George Carl. Yeah, with Vlade, you know, I'm going to disagree with him on certain basketball decisions, like, you know, not putting an end to the madness sooner. I think that's that's his his deal. But then again, you know what people don't understand on the Internet and, and such is that when George Carl arrived and we're definitely not getting into this at this time of the podcast, but when George Carl arrived, he was a lame duck almost before he even stepped foot in the building. He was. And the way he got the job was so strange and awful and just a mess that Vlade taking this this kind of like what do you do with George Carl and his big contract and his his stubbornness and and how do you handle that if you're Vlade and it's one of these personality things and it makes the king so great to follow because you have Vivek who is straight out of Silicon Valley um, the the show as well as Silicon Valley, the area. And you have Vlade, who's this colorful character that, you know, he, he doesn't go by convention. He doesn't, no, he's honest. Yeah. And he's he, completely honest to a fault at times. Yeah. And you, you've got this situation where he's kind of more or less said, you know what? These minority owners aren't going to let me get rid of Carl anyway. So I might as well let him coach his way because I'm not going to fight him on it. But that's where I disagree with him. I think he should have laid, laid the foot down and said, you have to make this change, but that's, you know, that's in the past. Aaron, but, he did. He laid his foot down. He said, you're making a change. And when he believed that that maybe that his foot didn't hit the ground hard enough, he fired one of George Carl's best friends. Well, and that's kind of what I'm hearing as well. <laughs> and I mean, really, that, <laughs> that's kind of a dramatic way to put it. And that's what I'm hearing as well. But and that's that's why I thought it was such a smart move to ensure that he makes the change. But I just didn't. You know, you hear, hear this out of availability today that they're not getting this defensive assistant in and you don't I and mean, you kind of hear a little pushback from George. Like, oh, you fired my friend. Well, you know what? Uh, maybe I won't change or no, I don't get that. And, He's and, depressed, man. He is. He, he was caught off guard. He didn't see it coming. He was like, wait, what? You're firing Vance? Vance is my dude. Not I, Vance. George, no, I, George was caught I, off guard by it. He was, man. And uh, he was very emotional last night when the initial night when when we found out. And again, Vance is still there. He was, he was, you know, packing his stuff up. But he was you know, emotional. And, and I want to jump in on something because I know we're running short on time. Like there was a, an article somewhere, blah, 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 that said George is going to coach the way that he wants. George, if he coaches the way that he wants and like goes out in a blaze of glory and tells everybody to screw off and you know, you're benched and this, that, well, I'm gonna do it my way, all that crap. If he does that, it will be a spectacular disaster of epic proportions and he will let be probably be let go because it will be so ugly that even the minority owners will be like, Oh my god, we cannot have this. This is just get this is over. He'll what be I would out like of the building. To, what yeah. I would like to see George do, because and I said this on on Dave's show earlier this morning, is I, this guy is a, a Hall of Famer. He's a part of NBA history. He's a really smart basketball man. He deserves to go out on a high note, and I just hope that everybody can kind of guide him to doing the things the right way. So where the, 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 you're right about the last five through eight slots in the West, they're up for grabs if the Kings play through to Marcus Cousins, blah, 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 all the stuff we talk about all year long. They can do this, and what a great story it would be if George Kroll has this kind of like, I'm going to change moment. Everybody comes together and they make it happen. And they just tell everybody in America who's been laughing at them for an entire two to three years now, how long it's been, is give them the big middle finger. That would be the greatest George Carl story ever told. And that's what I think has got to happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to be the other. It'll be a spectacular disaster. Well, and, and if it doesn't happen, Aaron, it's on him. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where we're at. If he can't make the change to to try to fix the train wreck that's, that's become the Sacramento Kings, really, it's on him. I think the players the players played nice for so long. And and I, I do blame them for that eight-game, you know, the, the last 10-game stretch where they lost eight of 10. I blame them for plenty of the things that have happened. But again, we've already gone through and said, realistically, you know, maybe you can blame them for five of those games, maybe even four of those games, just because there were other incidences that 
that there were other reasons why they didn't win some of those games. But yeah, it, I I hope it works out too, man. I hope that he he finishes the season strong. Um, you know, again, a playoff run would be great. I think it takes more than a playoff run to save him and to have him coach past this year. And that's why I, I think that's the general consensus. It, that, it takes a happy ending is what it takes. Yeah, it's something something crazy would have to happen for George Carl to keep coaching this team. But, you know, crazier things have happened. I mean, we've we've covered this team we've covered this team for a few years now, Aaron. Crazier things could happen. Yeah, I'm not All right. nothing out. So Aaron, uh, let's let's quickly I, I didn't mean to drag it out to the very end here. Uh give yeah, us wait. a synopsis on uh Oh, hoopball. Uh, on hoop hashtag I mean hoop uh Oh my gosh, dashball.com. It's, it's hoop dash ball. As, as Dave put it earlier, it's my vanity site, which I, I hadn't even thought of calling it that, but that's a great name to call it, is my vanity site. Now, it's, it's something I've wanted to do for a very long time. And um, what I actually, you know, I was thinking about before the show, I, I would really like it if some of the listeners that have been through kind of the King's relocation uh, story to, to reach out to Kurt Heelan of Basketball Talk. You know, it's at Basketball Talk and just thank him. Because he let me cut my teeth in the reporting world, and it was such an important story for Sacramento at the time, and nobody was really getting it right in the national space. And he said, hey, have at it. Don't make mistakes, but have at it. And, and he really just let me report the story a, as good as I could. And you know that, that I thought was really neat, and I thought that it helped the Sacramento area get a fair shake. That's what I wanted for Sacramento at the end of the day was to get a fair shake. But back to hoop ball. It's a little bit of everything. It's a fantasy site. It's um, kind of an aggregation site. Uh, it's got some cool fantasy products. If you're into fantasy sports, there's a question and answer service. Um, even uh, we're really looking kind of long term with this thing and, and trying to. I don't want to say like Grantland because that'll make me sound all hoity-toity. Like we could actually be a Grantland, but maybe in ten years, who knows? Maybe we could be a Grantland. But again, it's something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. I'll probably still do some stuff with NBC down the road. So um, especially when the arena opens. But yeah, if, if you guys just go ahead, go ahead and thank Kurt at Basketball Talk, you know, for everything that he's done to let me report on the Kings. Uh, that w- I would appreciate that from my perspective. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Hoop-ball.com. Hoop-ball.com. Um, yeah. All right. So we've dragged this out yet again. Uh, I'm excited for Aaron and his new venture. Uh, he will continue with the podcast. I think that's something that, that we need to make sure that everyone knows. Um, the Sacramento Kings are going retro with the floor. Ooh, that looks good. On Friday night. That is going to be super fun. I can't wait. It's Reggie Theus bobblehead night. I got to get me uh, Jerry Curl uh, Reggie Theus bobblehead um, just because that's cool. And, uh, you know, this is the way that this season uh, is going to come out. Uh, you've got a race to the finish line. The Sacramento Kings aren't done, which is shocking. Um, they still have a, a legitimate shot to climb back in. They have no room for error, which we've said all season long. They've lost all room for error at this point. But uh, Utah lost on Thursday night. Kings are just four games out of the eighth spot. Um, and they, I think Houston and, uh, and Utah share that eight spot at this point. So it's going to be a race. It's going to be a a fight to the finish. And if I watch, I I got to hear a little bit of practice today. My goodness, it was loud and crazy and they are hopefully ready to go. Uh, A couple of things, uh, Omri Caspi, Marco Bellinelli both had, uh, Marco has had to have a tooth extracted, and Omri had wisdom teeth issues, uh, his wisdom teeth removed. So both of those guys are questionable for Friday night against Michael Malone and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, do we have any other business that we need to talk about before uh, before we end this this hour and a half, not hour and a half, <laughs> hour and five minute uh marathon marathon the marathon continues um no actually i just want to add that monty williams is um you got to go out there and you got to find his um his eulogy for his wife and and just listen to the man's words it's just really i mean he's lost so much and yet he's out there talking about forgiveness and it's just it's a bigger message than anything we're talking about here today just get out there find it's on youtube 
and and you know my thoughts and my prayers are definitely going out to him and, and all the families that were impacted by that accident. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. Also, thoughts and prayers go to Ryan Anderson, Sacramento native, um, when he lost his girlfriend to a tragic suicide a couple of years ago, which was just absolutely horrific. Um, it was Monty Williams and his wife who took Ryan Anderson in and really helped him get through a difficult time and to have, uh, it, it is Ingrid, right? Yes. I, right. I, to have her pass away is another huge blow for a very, very good young man and Ryan, uh, Anderson. And so just thoughts and prayers to all those guys. It's been a, a rough, rough go, uh, for, the OKC family and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans family. Monty Williams was a huge part of both of those families, and uh, and for him, I mean, it. it I, they've got five kids. It's uh, it, it's rough. I mean, we even talked about it today. Um, Mike Shishovsky's been having uh, a little bit of health issues, and you know, Team USA is this summer, and you know, the coaching staff is Thibodeau and uh, and Jim Beheim, and of course Monty Williams and. You know, can Monty Williams even coach the Olympics because of this situation? And that's not something that, you know, you you think about. But when you you really, like, look at it, like, how do you take your family to the Olympics and coach and and be part of that? It's just such a traumatic thing in someone's life. So really, really sad times for the the Williams family. So thoughts and prayers going out. Uh, Any other final thoughts, Aaron? No, just uh, Friday night, big game. Really excited to see how it goes down. Friday night, big game. Uh, I, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Insider podcast on CSN Bay Area, CSN California. Uh, for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Hey.